the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. So today, if you recall last week, I talked about this as we ended Nehemiah. We are moving to the book of Malachi. I mean, Malachi. My older brother would always call it Malachi and it's stuck in my head. I don't know what. Okay. I guess that's how he remembered how to spell it, I guess. I, I'm not sure. So we're in the book of Malachi. Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 5, but as, as I normally do when we begin our study into a new book of the Bible, I lay all the groundwork for that, so we'll spend some, some significant amount of time there and then uh, address a particular theological truth that's laid out here in these first five verses, one that makes most people at least in Western Protestantism, uh, very uncomfortable. And then we'll address why we are so resistant to that. Okay? Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but I say, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet you have, yet I have loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. There's the part we have trouble with. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory. And the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this and you will say, The Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. You may be seated. Yeah, this messes with some folks, but let's don't go there yet. Okay, we'll, we'll try to lay the groundwork for the book. All right. Malachi, being the author, means my messenger. Some versions say his because my refers to God, all right? Um, some people want to argue it's not a name at all. It's just, this is sort of an anonymous book, and it's his messenger speaking. I'm not taking the time to go through you, with you the, I don't know, multiple hours of reading I have done just to look at that to the point where me and many other uh, people more scholarly than I do, 
I am, have no problem with this being a proper name, meaning my messenger. Okay? The, one of the difficulties is his name's found nowhere else in the Old Testament. But you know what I say to that? Neither is Jonah or Habakkuk. And nobody argues about their names. Okay? Um, it may be a shortened version of, not my messenger, but messenger of the Lord. You just got to add one more letter to it in the Hebrew. And the other thing they struggle with is we know nothing personally about him. The text is a word to, to the people of his day, and it doesn't tell us his, his dad's name, you know, the son of, that kind of thing that you might see in Isaiah and other places. Okay? So, so we struggle with that. But I think that has to do with the nature of the book itself. Okay? Now, the date of it, there's no explicit date like we've seen in Nehemiah and Ezra. In the 20th year of King there's none of that, okay? But internal evidence, by looking at what it says, we really know that this took place during the time where Nehemiah, remember, he came for a certain amount of time, went back to Susa. In this interim period of time where Nehemiah is gone, okay, is the time that Malachi ministers or gives his word. We do that because... The word governor is in the text. It's a word that they would use to speak of a Persian governor, so we knew it was during that period of time. Okay, It talks about the temple. Then that means the temple has to be built. Correct? Okay. Oh, do I go through all these or not? <clears throat> we do know that the spiritual decline that he addresses is the same ones that happen when Nehemiah gets back and brings reforms to those in chapter 13. So they're the same things there. Because he call, tells the people that they've given up on the tithes and the Levites, that's in particular one of those things Nehemiah uh, talks about. Um, and before, when Ezra came and Nehemiah first began, that was funded by the king, if you recall. And it's Nehemiah that gets the people to fund this. So if he's bringing correction for them not doing that, it could no longer be in the king providing that. Um, Again, I'm not going to break all those down. Okay? The main theme of the book of Malachi. You ready? It's a tough one. God. <clears throat> I know you didn't think that, did you? Because there's that famous part in chapter 3 that every preacher's ever preached on. You've always heard a message about. If you don't know, then you'll get there. Okay? The word Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay, the name God speaks to Moses on the mountain. He says, who shall I say? What's the name of the guy sending me? And God says, I am. That, that in the Hebrew is called the Tetragrammaton. Is 49 times in four chapters. 55 verses. It's mentioned 49 times. What's the theme of Malachi? God. And then you've got to count when he refers to his name, when God says, my name. One of the things God talks about is his reputation in this. And another intriguing thing, the term, and your Bible might say it differently. It might say the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. The NIV does the Lord Almighty. I'm not sure that's the best one because there's another word for that. But it's 24 times in these five chapters. And chapter 4 is just a little... Um, Summary, I guess. So you almost could say it's in three chapters. <clears throat> That's 12% of all the times that phrase is used of God in the entire Old Testament. 12%. You say, that's not much. Yeah, but you're only in three chapters. 
in this little bitty book in the Minor Prophets is this the Lord of hosts. In verse 14, he calls, God calls himself, I am the great king, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies, some versions will say. And really, what are those armies? What are those hosts? And again, you could do a study of the word host. It can refer to the stars of the heavens. It can refer to angels. It can refer to physical human armies. It doesn't matter. God's Lord of them all. And really, this is what got the disciples in trouble. They said that Jesus was Lord. You've got to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Okay, They said, and if you recall, in Jesus' trial, when they're accusing Jesus, and they says, is this your king? When Pilate says, this is your king, what they say? We only have one Lord, Caesar. When the disciples and apostles come along, and, Jesus, and they're preaching after the resurrection, Jesus is Lord. That will get you in trouble. In those day, and I'll tell you, it will now. You got to realize what they were saying is, he is the Lord of hosts of everything that puts Caesar down here. I, I would say that to any political, wherever you are on the planet, you think you're in charge. I hate to tell you, you're not. So he's the Lord of it all. One of the unique things that God refers to himself here twice, verse six, two times in verse six, once in verse 10, he calls himself the father of Israel. That is, we say it today. It's a New Testament idea. But, but they had such reverence for the Lord of hosts. For Jehovah, they didn't refer to him as Father. Okay? So this is one of the rare places in the Old Testament Jesus calls himself Father. That is, his people being his children, his sons, if I could use that term. So there's some unique things here that happen in reference to God. And then again, I want to repeat that constant use, 49 times out of 55 verses, he refers to himself as Jehovah, the I Am. Okay? Now the setting is clear. We know the temple's built. The walls are rebuilt. Nehemiah's reforms were, took place. Nehemiah has to leave. In his absence, approximately 55,000 Jews by the numbers we took from Nehemiah and Ezra. They struggle with adopting the culture of the world around them. We've talked about that. In particular, mixed marriages. So Nehemiah, when he comes along in Ezra, they, they, they clear out the mixed marriages. However long, we're not sure Nehemiah's gone. Malachi watches as more and more and more of the Jews intermarry that we've talked about, including the high priest who marries the governor of Samaria's daughter. He, he, he's the one that sits and watches. Now, Nehemiah goes away and comes back and finds this. Malachi's watching it happen. He's there while it gets increasingly worse. Okay? He watches a generation be born, however old they end up being, we're not sure, and they don't speak Hebrew. They speak the languages of the, the moms or the spouses that were of these foreigners. They're not speaking Hebrew. So that's just, like I said last time, that's an indicator of how much the culture of the world around him was being embraced. He watched the Amorites and the Moabites enter into the place of corporate worship in the house of God to the point that Tobiah, one of those, is actually living in the house. He's watched this. Could you imagine? You hear the day that, hey, the priest has rented out, cleaned out the room that was meant to be for the tithes and the offerings and such and the instruments and utensils for the Levites. Uh, kings rented that out. Okay? And, and I, 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 because of a word I'll 
make reference to here. I think Malachi's heart was broken. Okay? And that's the other thing he sees. All the offerings and tithes suspended. And the Levites, the scripture uh, in last week in Nehemiah 13, flee the city to move out to the country to grow crops because they couldn't provide for themselves. He watches. All, now, we like to think, boom. No, he probably watched it over time. As, as this fellow over here married a foreign one, and then, and then that one, and, and then, well, you know, it just begins. At, oh, I'm going to get into trouble for this. It's sort of like divorce in the American church. Did I say that? Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> or, I was talking to somebody about this last week, or in the church in America, how many couples are living together and not married? It, it just sort of creeped in. And now it's a lot of people don't think about it. Matter of fact, this person I was talking to, we were talking about church discipline. Should the church of somebody claiming to be a child of God in the church regularly, okay, living in sin? Yeah, I called it that. Does the church get involved in that? Well, did Malachi get involved when he saw things not, when he saw it slowly creeping in? The format or style or approach that Malachi uses under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is this conversation. God speaks and he manifests and he says, and I know your response. You're going to say this. When we get to Romans today, you'll see Paul does the same thing. Okay, but so he says this and he goes, and I know how what you're going to say. You're going to say this. So it's put forth as this conversation between God and Israel, but Israel never really says anything. It's God knowing what they're going to say. God poses 25 questions, okay, in 55 verses. Many of them rhetorical. He really doesn't expect you to answer that. And then others, he says, I know you'll answer it, and here's the answer you will give, okay? So, so here, okay, in chapter 1, there's a question on average, of every 1.2 verses. That's a pretty often question. How do you know that, guys? You just put your Bible into Word, you highlight a question mark, and you put control left, and it will tell you where all the question marks are. It's a really tough thing. You don't have to be a scholar. Okay? In the whole book, um, it's about every, just over two, every two verses there's a question. Now, I'm going to tell you this. When God asks a question, He's not looking for information. When he said to Adam, yo, Adam, where are you? It's not like he didn't know. So these questions are not for God to gain information. They're to get you thinking. Or the, those listening thinking. Also what's interesting is you, referred to the audience being spoke to by this oracle, by this message, 96 times. You, 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 you. It's all about me and you. That relationship, that interaction between God and His people. And, and He lets these people know their own thoughts, their own attitudes, their own words, even reminds them of their actions or actions they will do because you can't keep it hidden from God. Now, what people struggle with is God's interaction with His people. And is it just here, but particularly here in Malachi, His, his actions, His affections, if I'll use that term, are expressed in human terms. Because that's the only way you relate to them. If he, if he related them in dog, you wouldn't get it. Now, I don't mean to be flippant here, but he relates and speaks to us 
in a way that we can grasp it. But let me get real. When you say, I love my wife, but it ain't the same the way when God says, I love you. But can I relate to that? Yeah. How close is my love uh, to God's love? Not much at all. But I I know enough about love. I, I get the idea, right? And there's a particular word we get to here that we struggle with because we think of it, the word hate, we think of it the way we hate. But in, this, in Malachi, he loves, he hates, he gets angry, he gets wearied, he gets, has pleasure and displeasure. He threatens, he blesses, and he curses. Okay? We see these type of things, but again, you got, you got to sort of remove them just from the realm of the natural, because he'll talk about the curses, for example, in a very natural way. He does here when he talks about basically Esau, but you got to understand what he's, he's trying to get you a picture of it. So when he talks about his thoughts, his behaviors, his actions, he puts it in a context of, well, well, look, look what happened here, a physical thing, to express God's heart in the issue. Now, many people want to take Malachi because it's in the Old Testament and throw it out as isn't relevant to us today. I want you to understand, after Malachi, God does not speak for 400, three to 400 years, depends on where you date things. God goes silent after this book. I don't know about you, but the last thing God says, I'd want to pay attention to. That's the last things he say before you get to the birth of Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist, and the whole Christmas story. Nothing's said in between. During that pound of time, the the non-Hebrew, non-God-believing world develops what we know today is human philosophy. The Greek philosophers, they ponder these great questions. Why? Because God ain't speaking the answers. So man comes up with them. You know that Greek philosophy has developed during the intertestamental period of time. But let me give you two thoughts about its relevance from two commentators, commentators, both PhDs who have way more knowledge than I do. Okay. Peter Veroff, which is actually he wrote a lot in German. Malachi delves into matters that are fundamental for all time and therefore conveys an important message even to us in our generation. Joyce Baldwin, she has almost the premier, I would say, um, commentary right now. If you went out there um, and got them, she probably has the most prominent one. Don't get all riled up. That doesn't make her a pastor. A leader in the church means she wrote a book. I mean, went to college and got an education and then wrote a book. Malachi's prophecy is particularly relevant to many waiting periods in human history and in the lives of individuals. He enables us to see the strains and temptations of such times, times of waiting. The imperceptible abrasion of faith that ends in cynicism because it has lost touch with the living God who does not change, Malachi 3 and 6, who invites men to return to him, 3 and 7, and never forgets those who are his and respond, 3.16. Okay? So so because of the nature of chapter 3, something that happens in chapter 3, many people, because they've heard preachers preach, anybody have any idea what that subject is? Tithe. They take and take, they don't even read the whole book of Malachi because some preacher, brought, you, you, you preachers, all you ever want is money. 
And so we don't have to pay attention to Malachi, that's Old Testament, because it's something we're uncomfortable with. Well, if you're uncomfortable with tithes, you're going to be really uncomfortable with today's message. It has nothing to do with money, but you're going to be uncomfortable with it. Okay? Let's begin with verse 1. The oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. You've got to grasp the word oracle or prophecy. Okay? It means that which is lifted up. That's not its root, but that's what it means. So, so many take it, the voice being declared, okay, proclaimed, lifted up. That's the term oracle. But its root is to carry a burden. Okay? And again, the commentators like to discuss what that burden is, but there are really two implications to it. One uh, is the burden that it places on the prophet. Okay? And, and you see this through the other prophets where they grieve when they give a word and they recognize that the people, there's a burden they carry in that and they know that it's been put upon them and they're obligated, they can't help it, they're moved by God to give it. What a burden. Most of the time you get this with it and they're not going to listen. That's a burden. Okay? But the other idea is, is the nature of the word itself. It places a burden on the people to respond. Okay, so, so this, this declaration is a burden both to Malachi and to the people hearing it. Okay, what is being proclaimed? The word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to break that down for you. Say, well, I understand it, Pastor. You don't have to break that down. But I don't understand the word, Hebrew word, debar for word, is to speak, to say, to utter. Okay, the spoken very spoken words of God. Okay? How important is that? Okay? Well, they're words of the Lord, of Yahweh. The God, the, the, God, the I Am. The one who by His very nature must exist. I've put it this way before to you. God cannot not exist. I know that gets a bit confusing. Okay? The one who has existence in and of himself is giving these words. The one who has no cause, the one who is non-contingent, nobody's manipulating his words. Okay, No one's moving him. He doesn't have to give them. Okay, The one who needs nothing, okay, needs no one, to be what he is, or to behave the way he does. The one who gave being, existence, to everything else. That's the word, the spoken word. <clears throat> now, I want you to understand how much importance God puts on his spoken word. Now for us written. Go to the beginning of the book. Don't have to. You go to Genesis right from the beginning. And it says, God said ten times in chapter 1. I know you think what's important is how long a day is, how long a day isn't. What day he made the animals and what day he did this. No, no, no. The importance of Genesis 1 is God said. It's the thing repeated. Out of his perfect being, he spoke, and all that is comes into existence. I do find it interesting that seven times he speaks to create. One time in verse 26, he speaks within the Trinity. Let us make. 
God speaking to himself in one of those. And then the other uh, two times, he is speaking to mankind. Anybody know what's the first thing God says to mankind? Now, wait a minute. This is important. God's showing you the power of his spoken word. It creates. He speaks to himself, and then he says to man something. And I suggest to you, we've decided to ignore this. Be fruitful and multiply. That's God's spoken word. I better leave that alone. And he goes on to say there, be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion, that part. You, you can't have the dominion part without the first part. Don't over-spiritualize that either. We'll touch on this when we get to Malachi chapter 2. And then, of course, the other time, the second time he talks to man and says, you're going to eat of all this, just not that one thing. And what do we focus on? The one thing we can't have. This, that's not the point of today's message. But let me give you a few more scriptures of what the Bible, God's spoken word, says about itself. And this includes the book of Malachi. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy or oracle of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. That's true of Malachi. Before you want to wash what it's going to tell you, you need to remember that. Okay, and that's out of 1 Peter 1, or 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Isaiah 55 and 11. By the way, Isaiah is the most, one of the most prevalent books. Well, prevalent. Most often, where you hear that phrase, Lord of hosts, the, the greatest one is Jeremiah, which is a pre-exile prophecy. I find it intriguing that in this pre-exile prophecy, there's a lot of the Lord of the armies, Lord of the hosts, Lord of... And then while they're coming back from exile and they spent this time moving away from God, is another place he declares himself as that. You also see it in Revelation. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, old King James Boyd, without accomplishing what I desire and without, or without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. So when the word's being read and you're, you're feeling convicted, that's the purpose and God sent it. This is Pastor Randy Reams and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC, P.O. Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.